It's a special Sunday because we got my buddy, my pen pal. Uh, I just met him face to face after two years of correspondence. Uh, we met on Friday and uh, spent the weekend together. It's been awesome. Uh, Josh Duncan from the Footstool Project is here. And uh, before we have him come up, I just want to share a little bit about uh, Nepal and how we got connected there. But, uh, you know, it was about 2014 uh, early on in the year when just the elders were just feeling just the, the burden of the Lord that our church had a really cold heart as a whole towards the global mission of God. And uh, sometimes in our core groups, we'd be sharing about going and reaching the nations. And, you know, we'd have guys say, no way. Uh, there's no way in the world I'm ever going. Anyway, I've never left Prineville, never leaving Prineville. So don't talk to me about it anymore, you know. And, uh, and so we began to pray and we fasted during our week of prayer and fasting. We cried out that the Lord would do a work in our church even that year and, and just give us a passion for missions. Um, and we didn't even really know fully what that meant. Um, but we began to position ourselves uh, every morning. Uh, we would call the men to, to wake up early and to spend time praying and seeking the Lord for him to move in our church. And, and uh, we, we found that uh, there was a conference over in Birmingham, Alabama that David Platt was putting on. He had written the book, Follow Me. He'd written the book, uh, radical and those books we'd gone through in our discipleship groups and they'd just been stirring our heart towards just radical discipleship with each other following Jesus and uh, and so there's this conference called the radical intensive in Birmingham and 100 men uh, pastors and, and an elder were allowed to come in to this conference you had to fill out an application and uh, we just felt as elders that we needed to apply to get to this missions conference and we were accepted to get in there. And so we went over there. I accidentally clicked the wrong box on the airline thing and ordered our tickets a day early. So got to spend a day early in Birmingham and going around civil rights museums, all that kind of stuff. It was really incredible. But as we were in our hotel room, Kevin Vaughn went with me and he said, hey, Rory, have you heard this sermon uh, by David Platt about just the gospel in Nepal? And, uh, and I said, no, I don't even know where Nepal is. And, and he basically just filled me in on the points of the sermon that, uh, that there is incredible darkness, spiritual darkness up in the Himalayas and down in the valleys of Nepal, that uh, Nepal has some of the most unreached people groups who've never heard of Jesus and have never heard of the gospel. And there's demonic oppression, there's spiritual bondage. And the higher you get up into the mountains, the more you find people who've never heard the name of Jesus, have no idea about the cross. And they're just trying to know, they just, they just, they, they know that they have sin, um, but they don't know how to be forgiven of their sin and how to know their creator. And so I heard the stories and our, my heart was moved and we dropped down on the floor in our hotel room and we began to pray that the Lord would open up a door in our church for the world. 
our little church of Prineville. And then, you know, we got done saying our prayers and we got in bed and we went to sleep. And we got to the conference the next day and it was orientation time and we all kind of sit around tables and, you know, the MC gets up and he says, just meet the guys at your table and, uh, and we'll get started in a minute. And so we go around and a couple of good old boys from Georgia were there and made fun of their accents, you know, and then we went around a little farther and, and this man sitting next to Kevin said his name, and I'm just going to protect his name uh, today by not saying it, but he said, and, and I'm from Nepal. And Kevin and I look at each other and we're like, Hey, uh, man, we just listened to a thing about Nepal, and uh, you know, hey, do you know where? And, and he says, Yeah, that was that was our that was my group going over there, and that he went with, and and so basically, the Lord began to connect us and knit our hearts together, and I I found this new friend to be kind of like a a warrior, an army, you know, Navy SEAL or something like that, who'd seen battle and seen stuff, but was just not talking about it a lot. You know, you just tell he'd seen things and, and we begin to draw out from him just stories from the field. And the stories were so incredible that, you know, just our hearts began to tremble. Like this is like heroic, biblical book of Acts type stuff that, that we're hearing about. And, uh, and as the days would progress, we'd show up late to the conference in typical Calvary Chapel of Crook County fashion, you know, and try to find a seat and we'd sit down and, uh, and here, here he would come and he'd sit next to us and he just poured into us and he said, man, you know, I just feel, I just feel like God is knitting my heart to yours. And if there's anything I can do to help your church, I want to help. And, and we said, could we come with you? Can we join you? And he said, Absolutely. And, uh, and it was then that we actually took a little quiz, like grading our church on our missions, climate and culture. And we got like a D minus on it, you know, <laughs> you know, we all laughed and he just like, Hmm, yeah, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, anyways, we, we parted ways and, uh, we came home and we presented, you know, basically our binder of what we'd learned of God's heart for the world and for the globe uh, and to our elders. And we said to the elders, what do you think we should do with this? And the elders just all said, what else is there? This is the biblical commission. This is the task that the church has been given. And so we've been neglecting that task. And so we decided that in two weeks we were going to do a workshop and we were going to basically in one day's time go through three days worth of curriculum with our church. And it was, I'm telling you, it was, it was like the day of that workshop that God just took the thermostat of our mission's heart and it just cranked it up on high. Like overnight, you've got the guys that were saying, stop talking to me about the world, stop talking, I'm never going, I'm going, I'm signed up. And eventually they would be saying, hey, if God wants me to move there, my family and I are praying about moving there. And so that's just a little bit of the history of how we ended up going. Uh, it was neat because that same year in November, our friend came and visited us and uh, we were eating at the sandwich factory. And he just said, you know what, Rory, I go to churches with thousands and thousands of people and they've got just thousands and thousands of dollars of resources and they've got so much and they and he just said and it's I, I it's so rare to find a church like yours where God has done a work of transformation in the hearts of the people for the world and he just said praise God I'm not just blowing smoke I'm not just trying to make you feel good he says the, the Lord is doing a work 
in your church. And that work continues today. We've currently got our Nepal team put together and we're working towards our January trip. And uh, it's a special thing because uh, there's been a date in the books to have Josh come visit us for some time where we could talk about uh, this organization, uh, the Footstool Project from Nepal, their vision for us uh, as a church and, and what our future could look like. And so it's been a special weekend with Josh and he's just going to come. He's going to share from the word. He's going to share this missional heart of God and he's going to just uh, give us a charge and just a refreshment of the fire in our hearts uh, for the globe. So let's give Josh Duncan a hand as he comes up to share with us today. So that took about 15 minutes off your time. Yeah. So. <laughs> First of all, I love your all's announcements. Uh, if they're like that every week, that's just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, thanks for the introduction, Rory. Um, first of all, uh, I'm going to say Jameson. Uh, so in Na- yeah, awesome. That's so great to hear that. So in Nepal, uh, the common greeting amongst Christians is Jameson. Um, everybody in Nepal, uh, their greetings identify what religion they are. So you're probably familiar with the, the term Namaste, and that's a common Hindu greeting. And then Tashi Dele is the Tibetan. But Christians say to one another, Jamesi, which means victory in the Messiah. So Jamesi. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for, uh, for having me here today. Uh, just grateful to be uh, with an amazing church, um, Rory said it well. Like Jack, um, he has uh, visited a lot of churches, and uh, there are very few churches that we hold in such high regard like we do. You guys, you're prayerfully always engaged with our heart and what we're doing uh, in Nepal. You're active. You send teams. You're engaged with your teams. Um, you understand the nations, and uh, and so we are really, really grateful. Um, and then I, I just want to say hello from our staff. Our staff sends regards. Um, you know, you guys have had uh, at least two teams. Now this will be your third team going? Four. Four. Wow. Um, and uh, there's relationships that have been built, and those relationships... Um, are, are continuing on, and so our staff is grateful for uh, Crick County. Um, Beauty for Ashes, it's awesome to, to hear about Cynthia coming. Beauty for Ashes is actually one of our partners as well, so we uh, work with them on a, on a daily basis, and they're doing incredible work, not only just making products that are uh, helping to keep women uh, out of human trafficking and rescuing those who have been in human trafficking, but it's an incredible discipleship program. Uh, I think when I was there in March, they had 24 women, and 22 of those 24 women have come to place their trust in Christ through that ministry. And so I'm excited for you guys to have that time with Cynthia. Um, so just a little bit about myself real quick so you guys know who's up here at the pulpit, Sharon. Um, my name's Josh Duncan. I'm our USA director for the Footstool Project. I live in Parker, Colorado. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a Christ follower, and then I'm a husband, and I'm a father of two, and I have two young children that are three and one, and they've shown me a lot of what, uh, 
a lot about the beauty of God and who he is and uh, an unconditional love. And I'll never forget when my son, my, my son's the oldest, he's three, when he was born and just that instantaneous just moment where I'm like, there's nothing in the world that you will ever do where I don't love you. And I know that that's still an imperfect love because I'm imperfect, but I caught, I caught a glimpse of what God feels for us. And so I'm proud to be a father. Um, and then I oversee our U.S. operations. So um, basically I'll visit with churches, engage with our partners, engage with teams, uh, try to raise the resources that we do, that we use to further the kingdom of God uh, amongst 23 unreached Tibetan Buddhist uh, people groups. And I'll go into a little bit of detail, but I just first want to pray. Uh, so Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I just ask that you go before me. Um, May, may the words of my mouth and, the med, and my heart just, uh, just pour out your words, your heart. Father, use me in ways that are utterly disproportionate to who I am. Father, I love you and just thank you for this opportunity. And, uh, and say these things in your son's precious name. Amen. All right. So uh, I want to kind of get into the message. And uh, today I want to focus on a familiar passage of scripture and it's something that Jesus said in in Matthew 4 um, it's a it's a simple statement um, but it's an important one and it's a it's a text that I I believe is going to be actually very familiar to you all um, but I also know that sometimes the most familiar texts texts are the ones that we forget and so this text, I think, is really important when we talk about, um, like, even your mission statement, going and proclaiming God and what that looks like. And so the simple statement has great implications, um, but I believe it's a powerful invitation and provides us great wisdom as what it means to follow Jesus. And so that's, that's what the talk is, is follow me. And, um, and so this foundation is a call to follow Jesus, um, and it's a summons to sacrifice. Um, but I also believe it's a summons to the greatest joy and honor that we can have uh, in our life, and that is to give it all up for Jesus. And so we're going to dive first into the verse. All right, let's make sure. There we go. It works. All right. Um, so Matthew four eighteen through 22. So if you would follow along with me. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, and, uh, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with the father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Um, so specifically what I'd like to focus in on is the passage in 419 where he says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, as we dive into it, I think it's really important to, uh, to start off with um, the significance of the me in this statement. Um, we need to set the tone and set the stage for um, the significance of what it means to follow me. Um, so I think in understanding the weight and wonder of the one who is speaking here is really important. 
Um, and actually, if we were to take a step back and just begin in Matthew, the stage is set. We learn a lot about Jesus in the first three chapters of text in Matthew here. And I won't go into all of them, but basically when you look at Matthew 1 through 3, you'll find some key terminology that's derived that describes and characterizes our Heavenly Father, and that is He is the Savior, He is the Messiah, He's the one promised to come in the kingly line of David. He was fully human, fully divine. He was the King of Kings. He was the only person who lived a perfect life and conquered sin, and He's the hope of all nations. He, the great I am, is the one that's calling us here. So that me is substantial. And understanding the me is critical because he is worthy. And his worthiness should give us the full confidence and trust in us giving everything with reckless abandonment. And that's a lot when you try to, try to package that and think about um, you know, what it looks like to give up everything with reckless abandonment. And... As Rory was even talking about the radical intensive and David Platt, David Platt actually has talked about just giving a blank check to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm giving you a blank check. You, you show me what you want and I will go. Um, and so I think it's really important though for us to recognize that this me, this person who is calling us to an invitation, he is worthy of it all. And I hope as we break this scripture down even more, we'll recognize the significance of what he's calling us to. So I'm going to basically take this scripture here and just kind of break down individual components of it. So just follow along with me um, as we go into different parts of it, because I think this one statement has four significant implications to us and and it's important that we see each component of this simple statement and the first is is come um, when when Jesus says come he's giving us an invitation right he's he's inviting us to join him and you know the passage has Peter and these men who drop everything to follow him but it's not a, it's not a, you must follow me. It is an invitation. And so we need to recognize the significance that he's inviting us, but not demanding of us. It's a choice that we ultimately have to make. And my hope is that all of us, of course, choose to say yes to that invitation. Um, but that invitation, we also have to realize the significance of it, that it's not just a simple invitation of just going and on an adventure, there's actually a responsibility associated with it. And that responsibility is going to require sacrifice. In, uh, in 1 Peter 4.13 it says, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed with his glory uh, when his glory is revealed. Um, following Jesus is going to require sacrifice. It's going to require dying to self. It's going to require you to up your cross and and die to self um, so there's a sacrifice associated with with this invitation and it can't be taken lightly but with this invitation with this sacrifice it's also a call to purpose in mark 10:45, it says for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so if we follow jesus 
we essentially are saying we are going to serve and we're going to give our lives for his glory and then ultimately it's a call to life uh, it's 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 an opportunity that we get to serve um, and it's an opportunity that we get to to be a light in a dark place it's an opportunity for us to, to really be able to find out who we truly are as sons and daughters of Christ, of Christ. and um, and through that, I think we find life. Um, I think, uh, I know in my own personal journey, how um, when I came to surrender fully to what it means to follow Jesus, that's when I feel like my life began. And I, there's been no greater joy for me than, um, than really putting aside um, putting aside my desires, putting aside my wishes, putting aside even the American dream and saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. And there's been so much reward in that because I've been able to find life in that. So the first part is there's an invitation. I think the next piece is, um, and I'll, I'll, I'm skipping the follow me right now, I'll come back to it, um, but uh, the and I will. Um, I think there's significance in this because what it teaches us is that Jesus is gonna gonna teach us. Jesus is our our teacher, our guide, our instructor. And so when he says, and I will, that means we have to be willing to learn. So when we accept this invitation from Jesus to follow him, we also have to accept that we've got to be able to learn and a desire to learn and when you think of disciple if you actually look up disciple in the dictionary I mean we've got the, the Bible which is a clear example of what it means to be a disciple but a disciple just means to be a learner so we have to come at um, this invitation with the desire to learn but I think it's really important to recognize that it's a journey and not a destination Jesus is not demanding perfection he is not demanding that um, we all fall short of the glory of God. What he desires is our hearts. And so it is going to be a lifelong journey. I know for myself that I continue to learn more and more about who Jesus is on a daily basis. And I know that I will never fully, fully understand everything that Jesus is, everything that God is, but it's going to be a journey. And my journey for me is I want to strive to constantly be learning about who Jesus is and modeling after him. And so that goes into the next point where you have follow me. And I think follow me is a key component because it means that we need to obey. So as, as we learn about Jesus, ultimately we want to be more like Jesus. Um, and as we want to be more like Jesus, that means we have to model obedience. Um, and that obedience is for others. And I think that's really important to understand is, is modeling obedience for others. It, it's, it's not like this father-son relationship where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm modeling obedience to please the father. Us modeling obedience does please the father, but the Jesus wants us to model obedience so that it draws other people into the kingdom of God. When we live an example of Jesus, when we're a light in the world, when we go out and serve our community, when we go out and reach the nations, we go out with the intent of modeling obedience so that others are drawn into the kingdom of God. So it's really important for us to want to 
be more like Jesus. And as we continue to learn more, we tend to model more. Um, I love the quote that says, become the change that you want to see in others. Um, I think that's an, a great example of, of you know, what it means to be a disciple. We had the best example in Jesus. He lived the perfect life. He became the change that the world needed. Um, and then last is this Lord and Savior. Um, and I put this in because, honestly, I, all this stuff that I'm talking about today applies to me, but there was a time in my life where I would say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I can, I can hit that exact point when I said Jesus was my Savior. But there's a difference between Lord and Savior and Savior, because Lord means Lordship. And that is that, that really is saying, not only are you my Savior, Jesus, but I want to make you Lord of my life. And as Lord of my life, that means wherever you call me, whatever you ask me to do, I want to do that because you're Lord of my life. I still struggle with that today. I mean, that, that is really the die to self. Um, but I think it's really important for us to recognize that when we, when we place our trust in Jesus, when we have that salvation, that sets us on a journey where the hope is, is as we continue to go on this journey with the Lord, that through sanctification, through learning more about Jesus, through being obedient, we want to place him more and more at the front of our life and as the Lord of our life and be willing to do whatever he asks us to do. Uh, for me, uh, just a little bit about obedience. Um, I, I used to be a water resource engineer. Um, I have been with the Footstool Project for a little over five years now. And prior to being with the Footstool Project and overseeing the work that we're doing, um, I'd, I had the perfect, perfect you know, dream, in my opinion, um, and what I thought was the perfect dream at the time. I had a nice corner office. I was, you know, working my way to become a owner in an engineering firm. I had the American dream, and um, I got exposed to unreached people groups, and my missions pastor at my church, who was a mentor of mine, asked me to go to Nepal and visit the Footstool Project, and um, and I ended up spending a week with our founder trekking through the Himalayas. And after spending a week and seeing the need, see, meeting people who had never actually even heard the name of Jesus, um, it was such an overwhelming um, fe feeling for me that I knew I, when I came back, I wouldn't be able to come back to the things that I was used to. And in fact, like the Lord just revealed to me on that trip how he had been preparing me for something greater. And that trip for me, I like to describe it as it turned my world upside right. And, and so I went back to my cubicle or my office and began to figure out man, what would it look like to become a missionary? Like, that was not the trajectory I was on. And, um, but I knew once I was exposed to it, I couldn't turn back from it. And so my wife and I returned four months later and uh, visited Nepal because I wanted her to see firsthand all of these things that had been really this burden placed on my heart for those in the Himalayas. And so we trekked for seven days. She got to feel the weight of it and the excitement and the joy and um, 
And then it was literally uh, just a, a couple months later where I'm still in my office, still doing what I'm doing, working hard. Um, and the owners come in and offer me ownership in the business. And this is what I've been working for for 10 years. And, uh, but I knew God was calling me somewhere different. And I knew I had to obey. So I actually resigned when they get offered me that. And, you know, the significance of that is, is not to, you know, not to try to, like, say, put me on a pedestal or anything. Um, but it was to say, you know what, Father, if you're calling me to go, it would be a greater travesty for me to stay where I'm at. And I think Jonah is a great example in that. And I will tell you, you know, six years into this now, I have zero regrets in walking away from what I felt was the American dream, what I felt was success, what I felt defined me, what I felt made me, you know, in the image of man, just an all-around success. And by giving that to the Lord, I have found no greater joy than being able to wake up on a daily basis and be able to just follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so um, we, it's important that we obey. And I believe when we don't, God will do things to, to get us to obey. And again, I'll go back to Jonah, but Jonah ran and he went eastward um, and God used a whale to convict him that he needed to go. Um, and so obeying is really key. But I think in this text, one of the most significant things is the send you out to fish for people. Um, and so ultimately, we are to go. Um, the Abraham covenant has a top line and a bottom line, and that's that you're blessed to be a blessing. And, and that is modeled through the entire Bible. When Rory talked about the story of God, um, one of the things that's really impacted me in my walk when I think about the Bible, um, you know, oftentimes we break the Bible down into verses or chapters. I mean, I'm, I'm just dissecting a verse today. But oftentimes we don't think about the Bible in its entirety and that it is a, it's a, an incredible story that God has provided for us. And like any story, there's an introduction and there's a conclusion. And the introduction is really God setting the stage through creation and then ultimately creating the nations. And that happens in Genesis 1 through 11. And then Genesis 12 is really where the story begins because the nations have been created and now all of a sudden there's this story of how God wants to redeem his people so that he receives the praise and glory that, he's deser that he deserves. And you go through all the Bible and you finally get to Revelations 5.9. And in Revelations 5.9 it talks about every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented before the Lamb of God. Everything in between is missions. Everything in between is about God's pursuit. And in that, it started with Abraham's covenant that said, we are blessed to be a blessing. So to be a blessing means to go. To be a blessing means to be engaged in your community. To be a blessing means that we are pouring out, that we're being the light of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus, wherever he calls us to go. I think, too, uh, with Go, there's this opportunity for us to mobilize ourselves and to mobilize others. 
So not everybody is going to go to the front lines of the Himalayas. If you want to, let us know, and we're happy to talk with you about what that could look like. But for many, there's opportunities for us to be engaged in going without actually having to set foot in a country like Nepal. For example, you can be praying for the nations. You can be welcoming the nations. America is a melting pot where God is bringing the nations to the United States, and that gives us an opportunity for us to pour into them. They have families back. For example, Syria right now has been a major refugee. You know, it's the largest refugee situation since World War II. If we think about it from a kingdom mentality, that is an unprecedented opportunity for us to engage in a nation that is currently completely closed off to the gospel. They're coming here, so to engage here provides an opportunity for the gospel to flourish in those countries. And then ultimately, we're called to be sent. And I'm going to spend a little time focusing on this because, um, because really, I believe Scripture tells us a lot about what it looks like to be sent. And I can never get up on a pulpit and not talk about unreached people groups because I think it is, it's the task remaining. And when we get that, when we get the significance of the task that remains, it changes everything in what we do and how we do it. And so I'm going to focus in on five specific scriptures. And, um, and this is all about being sent. But Jesus, basically, in his, his last 40 days, and when I say last 40 days, it was actually the last 40 days before he ascended to heaven. So, um, you know, he gave us the Great Commission, which I'll finish with. And that was his last mandate to the disciples before he was crucified but after he was crucified and rose he actually there's 40 days that he um, visited the disciples here on earth before actually ascending to heaven Um, and that's in at the beginning part of acts but in those 40 days he really gave us five critical scriptures um, that you know he had essentially about 40 quotes during those 40 days. And of all the quotes, there were, these five really are about being commissioned. The other ones were really um, didn't carry as much significance as, um, as being sent. So I, wanna, I just want to go through them. I put them up here on the screen, so I'm going to go through them a little bit quick. But Mark 16:15, he says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Luke 24, 46 through 48, it says, He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. John 20, 21, And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Acts 1.8, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when, it, or you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in the Great Commission, Matthew 28.18-20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to, commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. I'll just put those on. So there's a lot of significance that I think needs to be taken from Scripture when we consider what Jesus has commissioned us to do. And we are to go. We are to be a part of impacting the nations. And in Matthew twenty four fourteen, it says, when the gospel is preached to all the nations, then the end will come. That's the task that remains. That is the goal. Because when that happens, Jesus will return and the kingdom of God will be restored here on heaven. And so we can't take it lightly. We've been at it for 2,000 years. Jesus has commissioned the church and we're still, we're still moving. Um, but there's still a lot that remains. Um, an example of, I think, what it means to go um, and to be sent is this, this female right here. Her name's Sangi. Um, she is uh, what I consider one of the boldest warriors for Christ that I've ever met. And she, uh, just to give you a little bit of her story, um, so she comes from an area in Nepal where there were zero believers 15 years ago. Um, she came into our program where back in the day our program basically had children who were coming out of the Himalayas and they were in dire situations. So many of them didn't have, you know, clean water. Uh, 15 years ago, the statistic was half the children die before the age of eight in these remote villages. There were no schools. Child labor was a major issue. Um, kids were being trafficked because they were sick and then preyed upon or there weren't schools. And so like the work that Beauty for Ashes does helps in fighting that. that Human trafficking is still a huge injustice in the, in the Himalayas. Um, but she came into our program because she was sick and needed, needed support. And in our program, basically, we provide health, education. Uh, it's culturally sensitive, so it maintains their culture. They actually go back to their families multiple times a year. And when she was young, she uh, came to know Christ and placed her trust in Christ and was on fire for the Lord. And so she went back and visited her family. And when she visited her family, she spent 30 days with her family. And during that whole time, they noticed something was different with her, but she just, she could not just communicate to them what was different because she was the first believer in her whole valley. Her parents and the likelihood if she were to share with them that she was now a believer in Christ and had become a Christian, the consequences of that could be substantial. So she had she naturally had fear. But on her last night, she ended up sharing with her parents about Jesus Christ. Her parents came to know who Jesus was and placed their trust in him as well. So now for the first time, you had a family that had come to know Christ in this remote village. And the, we know that the Lord has rejoiced in that. She came back to our program the next day. And then we ended up learning just a few days later that her parents had been martyred for their faith in Christ. So the cost for her was substantial. Now here's a girl that did everything right. Here's a girl that, you know, shared about her faith 
lost her parents in that. And at the time she was, I think, 11 or 12. And I imagine when I was 11 or 12, if that would have happened to me, I don't know what I would do. She turned around and used it as an opportunity to write the first song in her heart language as a worship song to her to our Heavenly Father. This beautiful song. But not only did she do that, but she's pro- continued to progress on saying, you know what, it's so important that people know about Jesus. It's so important that my people know about Jesus that I'm willing to do everything. And so when the earthquakes happened in 2015, she came in on a helicopter and landed and there was complete destruction in, in most of the villages that we had been working in. And she flew in and got off the helicopter and the, the, the first thing she said to our staff member, she said, I wanna go share about the love of Jesus with somebody. So he said, all right, let's go into the village and see, see what the Lord does. She walks into the village and they meet this gentleman and she begins to say, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? And he said, you need to stop there. I have, but I need to warn you that sharing about Jesus could result in you dying. And in fact, there was a family a few years ago that lived two villages down. When they, when they came to follow this Jesus, they were killed. And she proceeded to look at him and say, I know that was my parents, and I'm here today to share with you about the love of Christ because it's that important that you know. So when Jesus takes hold of us, it changes everything. And it's, it's not something to be taken lightly. And today she's actually leading a school in a remote village, loving on kids that are three, four, and five-year-olds. She's part of a group of four incredible believers, the first believers from their people group that are now immersed at a, at a village that is located at 12,500 feet and are, are really fulfilling the great commandment, which is to just love well. They're engaging with these children and these families all because of the love of Christ. And so she, to me, is, is a role model to me and somebody that I strive um, to just learn more from. Um, so ultimately, Jesus said, come follow me. And it's an invitation. It's an opportunity for us to learn and recognizing that we always are going to be learning it's an opportunity for us to obey and to go. But I want to, I kind of want to leave you with a little bit of a challenge and I think some questions that we all should be asking ourselves. Um, and it starts off with, are you worth it? And these are, I think, things that every believer goes through at some point in their time, in their walk, and maybe multiple times in their walk, because our walk with the Lord is not always, it, it's, it's not going to be easy. And in fact, as we've learned, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to be tough. I mean, Jesus told the disciples, you're going to go without food. You're going to go without shelter. You're ultimately going to die for my name. And they, they followed him. Um, so we know that the cost of following Jesus um, is not the American dream. The cost of following Jesus is about giving it all so that he receives the praise and glory. 
And so when I think about are you worth it, I automatically think of John 3, 16. Um, and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He sent his son for us. So are you worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I think we have to ask, well, is he worth it? Well, at the beginning, I shared some key t- key characteristics of who God is that is defined in Matthew 1 through 3. I mean, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. He lived a perfect life. So is he worthy? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I think we really, and this I think is the hardest question is, are they worth it? And understanding who they is is really important. They are those who don't know Jesus. They're people that have never heard the name of Jesus in our world today. The unreached, and I've said that term a lot, and I just think it's important to define what the unreached are. And the unreached is a, it's a people group, so an ethnic group. It's not like a nation. It's not like the United States or Mexico. Um, when, when the Bible talks about nations, it's actually talking about specific ethnic groups. But the unreached are people groups among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize their own people group without outside assistance. I'm an engineer, so I like statistics, and so they define it as basically there's less than 2% of that people group are actually Christians or um, are able to evangelize or 5% are professing Christians. Um, And understanding the nations is really, really critical. Um, There's scripture that that I think really highlights the significance of the nations, and I'm just going to put them up here, but I'll go through them again really quick. Um, I had mentioned this one earlier, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Acts 1, 8, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Revelations 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God's persons for every tribe and language and people and nation. And then Revelation 7, 9, which is really kind of the heartbeat of our organization and what we use to really describe what drives us, it It says, after I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So we know it. at some point, every single people group, every single nation will be part of the redeemed. Our task remaining is to engage with the nations so that each people group, each tongue, each tribe, each nation is represented before the Lamb and before the throne of God so that he receives all the praise, all the glory that he rightfully deserves. Today there are about 16,000 people groups in the world and of those 16,000 there's 6,700 that are considered unreached. 
And of those 6,700, there's about 3,100 that are actually considered unengaged and unreached. So unengaged means there's actually not even a movement to reach them right now. Um, so it means there's not a missionary movement. There's not a missionaries who are going to serve there. Um, many of those unengaged people groups um, reside in Muslim countries or in the 1040 window where there are restrictions that basically say it's illegal for you to be a Christian. It's illegal for you to even share that you're a Christ follower, and it's even illegal for you to even say the name of Jesus. So there's a task still remaining. Those 6,700 are waiting. The nations are waiting. Ultimately, um, we have been commissioned as a church. Um, we have been commissioned, and the church, the responsibility of the church today is missions. And so I think it's important that when we recognize and talk about the nations, that we understand that that means engaging, that means going out, means being sent. Ralph Winter is an author, and he, he summarizes this really well, so I'm just going to read a quote from him. But it says, The task of identifying and penetrating the remaining unreached peoples, the great challenge of discipling all the nation, still lies before us. But we are assured in Scripture that God will be worshipped by a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. We are within reach of penetrating every people group on the planet with the light of the gospel and more mo with more momentum than ever before in history. Be a part of it. Find a place of historic significance in declaring his glory among all nations. Grateful that this church has a heart for the nations. Grateful that you guys are being a part of the story. You guys should rejoice in that. You should rejoice that you are actively engaging and seeing disciples made not only here, but also in the nations. We are internally grateful for your guys' partnership and support. Um, the teams that come are incredible teams that are engaging in level at levels that many of our teams don't even engage in. You guys truly have a heart and a DNA that says we are to make disciples. And so um, it's an honor to serve with you guys. It's an honor for us to, be to call you all brothers and sisters. Ultimately, Jesus has given us an invitation. And that invitation is come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a simple statement. It really is. Um, but I'll ha I actually will end with a David Platt quote. Um, and David Platt said, the call to follow Jesus is not, a uh, it's not simply an invitation. It's a summons to sacrifice and to find the most fulfilling life in him. So ultimately, ultimately, we should look at this as an honor. Like the Lord doesn't need us, right? I mean, there are people in the Muslim world that are coming to know who Christ is through dreams and visions. There are people who are coming to know Christ through miraculous healings. God doesn't need us, but he desires for us to be a part of it. And he desires for us to be a part of it because he actually receives more joy, more praise, more glory, more satisfaction because he got to receive it from us being a part of what he's doing amongst the nations. So 
It is, it is an honor that we have, a privilege that we get to be invited in what the Lord is doing amongst all people. So I leave you with a challenge, um, and this is a challenge for me as well, but what needs to change in how we think of Jesus where we would be willing to give up everything? And, and I just want you guys to wrestle with that this week. Um, look, at, look at your own walk with the Lord. Look at where you're at. And then just assess, like, what, what Lord do I need in order to recognize and realize and be willing to sacrifice everything for your name? And I just want to encourage you, give that up to the Lord, because the Lord's going to move through that. So thank you all. For, uh, for the honor and privilege of being able to stand up here and I don't take it lightly and just grateful um, for each and every one of you and your hearts. Um, grateful that you guys are um, impacting the nations right from Central Oregon here. Um, we all play a part in it, but you guys are playing a big part. And so uh, please be praying for our ministry and things that are going on in Nepal. It is it's a hard country. Um, it's illegal to proselytize and evangelize there. Um, so our staff is constantly under threat. Believers there are constantly under persecution. Um, the enemy wants nothing more than to take back and keep the land that he's held for hundreds and thousands of years. And so when you're at the front lines, when you're in a battle, it's it's hard. Um, and so just be praying for our ministry. Be praying for these 23 unreached people groups that the Lord has significant breakthrough in them. Um, and then we'll be praying for you as a church as well as you guys continue to be a part of what the Lord is doing uh, in, in these remote valleys of the Himalayas. So let me just close in prayer real quick. Father, uh, you are a good, good father. Um, father, I just pray that uh, you continue to convict us, continue to draw us into who you are. Because as we learn more about you, as we seek you, there is nothing greater than to be able to follow you, to be obedient to what you've called us to, to be sons and daughters of you, Father, is the greatest joy any of us could ever ask. But we've been blessed to be a blessing, Father. We've been blessed to go out to be a light on on a hill, to to engage in in drawing people into your kingdom, into helping to redeem those who don't know who you are, that don't have a relationship with you. And so, Father, I just pray. I pray for for the church. I pray that the church continues to rise up to the task that you've given us, the task of engaging in and sacrificing and doing what it takes to bring all the praise, all the glory that you deserve. Father, may your name just be recognized by all peoples, by every tongue, by every tribe, by every nation. May you receive the praise and glory that you rightfully deserve. Father, we love you so, so much, and we are just grateful that, uh, that you've called us that you have given us the opportunity to be a part of this with you, and we don't take that lightly. And so, Father, just continue to pour out your love uh, in the world around us. And we say these things in your son's precious name. Amen.